I got a message. I wasn't going to preach it this morning, but I just can't get away from it. And so we're going to try to mind the Lord. But before we get into the message this morning, I, our, our theme this past week, our lessons that we were teaching the kids were on discipleship. Now, if you don't know what discipleship means, that, that's the life that God has called you to after you get born again, is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What that means is to follow Him means to emulate Him. It means to let His life live through you. And we, we was teaching the young people this week, and, and there was a theme, a, a, a tone that, that was struck the whole week. Kids kept saying it over and over again. Here's what they said. They'd say, nobody ever told us this before. And how burdened my heart, how ashamed I was to think that people grow up in church and never be taught. And we wouldn't teach them no kind of super secret love language of the nth degree, super secret, you know, we done found the keys to the kingdom. I mean, just things like, hey, read your Bible. If you're a Christian, you ought to read your Bible. That's God's Word to you, and, and it's for you. And so you ought to read it. And things like you ought to pray. You ought to talk to the Lord. And, you know, we take things for granted sometimes. We just assume people know things. And, and so my heart is this this morning, and it's heavy, and I just want to take a few moments and just share this, and then I'll preach to you and we'll go to the house. But let me, I just want to share with you, there could be people here who ain't never heard the gospel. And you don't know, when people say the gospel, you don't know what that means. You don't know what the gospel is and, and what it means in a person's life. You don't know how to define it. And you hear preachers talk about receiving the gospel and telling the gospel and sharing the gospel and believing on the gospel. And you don't know what the gospel is. But the Bible tells us what the gospel is. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, Paul just lays it out. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. He says this in verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. You say, what does that mean, preacher? Paul says, it's how I got saved. I received the gospel. I believed the gospel. That's how I got saved. If you're saved here, it's because somebody told you the gospel. You got born again because somebody told you the gospel and you believed it, you trusted in it, and you responded to it obediently and you got born again. Paul says, hey, I deliver unto you that which first of all I received, how that Christ, this and now, this is the gospel, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, man, that, that phrase, according to the Scriptures, is important. It's not just the historical fact that Christ died on the cross, nor just that He died for sins on the cross, nor just that He died for our sins on the cross, but He died according to the Scriptures. Say, preacher, what does that mean? Well, it means that all that the Bible says about our sins and our need of a Savior, that Christ died according to that. And you say, well, preacher, what is that? Well, the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. We were born in that lost condition. No man was ever born a Christian. You can only become a Christian by getting born again, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I'll witness folks and I'll say, can you tell me, uh, do you know that you're going to heaven when you die? And they all say the same thing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, preacher. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. And I'll say, well, man, I love to hear that. Can you tell me why you believe that? And they get real quiet. And sometimes they'll even say things like, well, I'm a Christian. And I'll say, well, when did you become a Christian? They'll say, well, I've always been a Christian. I know right then they don't understand the gospel. Because part of the gospel is the truth and reality that none of us have always been Christians. There came a day when as a lost sinner we realized we were lost, that we couldn't save ourselves, that we couldn't help ourselves, that we couldn't redeem ourselves, that our good works wouldn't get it done, uh, that church membership wouldn't get it done, that getting baptized wouldn't get it done. Hey, listen, uh, we had double reason to baptize them kids up at camp. Uh, Once to be a testimony and two because they stunk. Amen? But baptism don't get them in. That's not what saves a man. You can be thrice baptized, join every church in Knoxville. You can do good works the rest of your life, and that won't make you square with God. 
fact is, we're lost sinners. We're born in that condition. We're born lost. And except a man be born again, he stays lost. So that we're sinners and we can't save ourselves. We can't change ourselves. We owe a sin debt. We have wronged God by the way that we live. And there's a debt now that has to be paid. And somebody's going to have to pay it. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh... He wasn't just a teacher, he wasn't just a preacher, but he, he was and is God. He has always and forever been God, that he was born of a virgin's womb. Now, some people want to say that's not important, but I believe it is important. I think if a man's going to think for two seconds about God, he's going to have to accept the virgin birth if he's going to believe that he is who he says he is. Because the Bible says that the reason we all became sinners is because we're all sons of Adam. And Adam sinned, and he was what we call the federal head of the human race. That means he's all of our daddy. And when he sinned, we took his nature upon us. The way the book of Romans says it, Romans chapter 5, is that uh, death passed upon all men and that all have sinned. It says, by one man sin entered into the world. Well, who was that man? That was Adam. By one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. But Jesus didn't get his nature from Adam. Uh, he was housed in a virgin's womb, but he was never created. He always existed perfectly, impeccably righteous and pure, immaculate, brighter than the shining of the noonday sun. He was completely sinless. The Bible says he did no sin, he knew no sin, and in him was no sin. So you see, he didn't have a sin debt he had to pay. And here's what he did. He went to the cross of Calvary, and the Bible says that he was made sin for us. God took all of our sin and put it on Jesus. Then took all of Jesus' righteousness. And if we'll believe on Jesus Christ, he'll put it on us. He died according to the Scripture. And the Bible says he was buried according to the Scripture. Now, a lot of people skip over that and say that don't matter. But you see, it pictures something. It pictures the putting away of our old man. We were buried with him in his death. In other words, all of our past, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our governance, all of our autonomy, all, all of everything we were was put in that tomb. And the Bible says he rose again the third day. In power and in glory, He raised, was raised according to the Scriptures. You know what that means? That when He raised, He raised to die no more. The life that He gives to you and I is eternal life. I, oh, Lester Olaf, you say it this way. I always like this. If you got your life from God, you got eternal life. Because the only kind of life that God has to give is eternal life. And why that's important is because a man doesn't get saved just by acknowledging certain truths and realities. It's not just that a man says, well, yes, I believe Jesus was the Son of God, and I believe that He died, and I believe that He rose again. You're not going to come to God if you don't believe those things. But it's not just affirming those things. You then have to come to God and ask for forgiveness of your sins. And to do that, you have to believe that He is alive and able to hear you, to receive you, and to forgive you of your sins. Now, you might be sitting there saying, well, preacher, I I don't know if God would receive me. Well, God's already spoke to that. He said, any that come into me, I will in no wise cast out. Uh, he, he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hey, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but of everlasting life. And He is the propitiation for our sins. Not for our, The propitiation means He's the sacrifice. He's the substitute. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Hey, He's the Savior of all men, especially of them that believe. Hey, He tasted death for every man. How many more times you need God to say you can get saved? 
if you'll come to Him. I mean, how many more ways could He possibly say it? If you'll come to Him, He will receive you and He will forgive you. And you say, well, preacher, that's good. I've heard the gospel, but what do I do with the gospel? Well, the Bible tells us what we do with the gospel. The Bible doesn't leave us wondering about that. The Bible uh, tells us this in Romans chapter number 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, that word confess is interesting. John uses it in 1 John chapter number 1 when he says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you know what that word confess means? It means to agree with somebody about. Right? Like when, when, when you finally confess that your wife was right the whole time. Amen? You, you ain't got to say it for her to be right. But for y'all to be right, you're going to have to say it. God is right whether you admit it or not. But to confess means to agree with God about it. Confess with thy mouth. Say, now, Lord, you said I'm a sinner, and I, I agree with you about that. I am a sinner. You said I can't save myself, that, that uh, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, that my best attempts at righteousness are as filthy rags before you. Not my worst uh, moment, Lord, but my best moment is as filthy rags before you, that by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God, I agree with you that I cannot save myself. I agree with you that I need to be saved. I agree with you that that Jesus died on the cross and that He can save me. And Lord, I'm coming to You now and I'm asking You to do what I cannot do for myself. I'm asking You to forgive me and save me. A lot of folks have got tripped up on that phrase where it says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. A lot of people take that to mean that a person can't be saved if they don't go tell people that they have just gotten saved. But I don't believe that's what it's saying. You're going to have to talk to the, to the, to the mute man and try to figure out how he's going to get saved if that's what it means. But rather it's saying this, that there are two aspects to a person getting saved. There has to be a heart change. They have to believe. They have to believe. You're not going to come to God if you don't believe those things. You believe unto righteousness. And then the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It's not talking about Him talking to me or talking to you. That's about talking to God. And uh, you say, well, preacher, how can a mute man get saved? Well, God can hear the heart. And so it's saying that he believes, but it's not just enough to accept and affirm these truths. It's not just enough to say, well, yeah, I agree that all those things are true. You're not going to come to God if you don't believe that they're true. But it's not enough just to say, yeah, I believe that they're true. There are a lot of Christians today, and I don't even want to use the word Christians. There are a lot of church-going people that they are academic Christians. They have a head knowledge. They accept that these things are true. If you were to ask them, if you gave them a test, they'd give you all the right answers, but they've never come to Christ and asked for forgiveness and salvation. They got to one side of it believing, but then the other side of it with the mouth confession is made under. You've got to come to God and ask for forgiveness. And so the Bible tells us what the gospel is. And that any and all that come unto Him, He will in no wise cast out. That's you this morning. You can be saved by the grace of God if you'll come to God and ask for forgiveness, believing these things to be true. He will save you. Today is the day of salvation. You know, all through the Bible, we have a record of people coming to Jesus. All through the Gospels, they're full of stories about people who came to Jesus and their lives were changed. There was a man with a dead daughter that came to Jesus and Jesus raised her from the dead. There was a man with a demon-possessed son and another woman with a demon-possessed daughter that came to Jesus and Jesus cast out those devils and, and saved those children. There was a blind man that came, in fact, multiple of them, and God opened their eyes. There was a deaf and dumb man that came and 
And uh, God opened their lips and allowed them to speak and allowed them to hear, opened their ears. There was a lame man that was brought to Jesus. And Jesus said, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. There was an infirm man, sick of the palsy, 38 years, laid infirm by the pool of Bethesda, unable to save himself. Uh, But Jesus came by and said, Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? He said, I have no man when the water is stirred. I ain't got time to preach that message too. Don't y'all preach me so hard. I ain't got time to preach that other message too. Uh, the Bible tells us that uh, once in a season, an angel would come down would stir that water, and whoever was first in there would be healed. I can't explain everything about it, but the Holy Ghost said it happened, and I believe Him because He ain't never lied to me. Uh, but the Bible says the problem with this man, he couldn't get himself to the water. And can I tell you, that's a problem with the works-based salvation model. You say, well, I'll work my way to heaven. The problem is, you're broke. You don't work. You can't work. You can't save yourself. People say, well, I'll just be better. You can't be better. This man, he might as well have been a million miles from that pool because he couldn't get himself in the water. He said, well, preacher, somebody else is going to get me there. They're going to pray me in. No. Uh, he said this, I have no man when the water is stirred to help me down into the water. And then Jesus walked by. Oh, my. Then Jesus walked by. And he said, water? You don't need that water. You've got the living water. And he looked at him and he asked him one question. Wilt thou? Wilt thou be made whole? You know, that's really what it boils down to for you this morning. It's not can you, it's not how will you, because you've already heard both of those things already. The question only that remains for you is, wilt thou be made whole? You can walk out these doors, and you don't have to be saved. You can leave, and you can die in your sins. I won't stop you. I, if I could, I would, but I can't. I can't make you believe on the Lord. But it's going to be your choice. All through the Bible, we have these people that came to Jesus, and their life was changed. On and on, the list goes. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 10. And I want to preach to you about a man that chose to walk away from Jesus. I want to preach to you on this thought, the man who walked away. All these people came to Jesus and their life was changed. And this man came to Jesus too. But instead of believing on Him and receiving Him, he just turned and walked away. You know, the Bible records only just a thimbleful of the things that Christ did. John tells us in his gospel that if all the things were written down that the Lord did when He healed people and changed their lives, that the world wouldn't contain the books. And yet the Holy Ghost carves out a space in the inspired Word of God to share with us not just stories of people that came and received Him, but also this tragic story of a man that came to Him, stood face to face with Him, was as close as any man ever was to the kingdom of God, and turned and walked away. What can we learn about this man's life? Mark chapter number 10, verse 17. The Bible says this, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him, kneeled to Jesus, and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. You know, that settles it this morning. You're either going to you're either gonna believe he's just good, or you're going to believe that he's God. And Jesus says this, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. He answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, then Jesus beholding him, loved him. He loved him. That's why he said what he's about to say to him. Not because he hated him, not because he was mad at him, because he loved him. He said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast. And give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, 
and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for what you have done and will do. But now, Lord, our hearts and our minds are set on this moment. You have people in this room, and I don't know the heart's condition of everyone that is here. But, Lord, you do. You know who's saved. You know who's not saved. You know who is seeking you. You know who's playing games. Lord, you know who is here just in their mind by happenstance, but that's not how they're here. They're here by providence. You've brought them to this place because you have a truth and a message for them. And I pray that you'd speak to hearts this morning, and I pray that you'd be glorified in what takes place. Lord, I ask if there's any that are lost here this morning, they believe on Christ, receive Him as Savior, and be born again before it's too late. Lord, we love you, we thank you for it, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As we said a moment ago, the Bible is full. It is bursting with stories of people who come to God and their lives are forever changed. And let me tell you this, I'm thankful that when we come to God, He can change our life. He doesn't just give us a new eternal destiny, and He does do that. He gives us a home in heaven. But He he does more than that. Your salvation don't start when your breathing stops. When you get born again, God changes your life immediately. And this man comes to the Lord Jesus... It seems as though everything's going well. I'm going to be honest with you. If this young man came running up to me at camp asking these questions, I'd say, man, we got one on the line. I mean, he seems like he's under conviction. He seems like he's asking the right questions. I I would have probably thought, now here is a young man that's going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet we find that that is not the case with this man. Instead, he walks off the pages of Scripture and to our knowledge died in his sins. Let's first notice for a moment this morning some admirable ways in which he approached Jesus. You know, we have a bad habit of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And when I read this, man, I mean, this is why I would think that he was going to get saved. There's things that I'd look for in somebody that's interested in God. And, and, and when I read it, I mean, he's got a lot of things right. You know, it makes me, it makes me mindful of the fact you can have a lot of things right in your life and the most important things still be wrong. You can have a lot of things worked out. You can have a good job and beautiful family. You can have a beautiful home. You can have, have wonderful friends and people around you. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're missing the most important thing in your life. This man comes to Jesus. And I would say, number one this morning, I want to just notice that his passion is admirable. The Bible says when he was gone forth into the way, there came one sauntering. Is that what it says? There came one moseying. Is that what it says? Now the Bible says there came one running. I would say this man's passion was admirable. I mean, this is a man that was keenly aware that he could die at any moment, that his life could slip away, that there was not time just to sort of trot up to Jesus. I mean, he came in a full open bore run to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've watched kids run all week and it has exhausted me. I ain't run. But I've watched them run. You get to a place in life, you ain't even got to do, you just got to watch it and it makes you tired. We did a slip and slide up at camp. Some of these crazy people, I'm talking about adults, or I thought they was, went down this slip and slide. And uh, they tried to get me to do it. And I told them, I said, my, listen, my insurance don't cover that. <laughs> I don't, you might have the gold plan, right? I've got the don't go on a slip and slide plan. 
and uh, watching these kids go down this slip and slide. And some of my th- this stuck with me for some reason. Let me tell you something. The key to a slip and slide, we're going to have a physics lesson. You ready? The key to slip and slide is mass and inertia. So all scrawny kids, I mean, they did okay. But but the chunky ones, son, they slipped and slided. Because you get enough momentum going, you don't even need water. I mean, I listen, I'm fat and I fall down hills all the time, not even trying to. And some of the kids, they'd come up and they'd, they'd, they'd do one of these numbers. They'd, they'd come up and they'd, they'd kind of kind of scooch up to the edge. And then they'd, they'd sit down on their hiney end, you know. And then they'd, they'd, they'd go, eh. <laughs> and I'd watch them, man. They, they wouldn't slide. They'd roll. I mean, it was sad. They'd just kind of like, it was, it was a pitiful thing. It was like watching a bird die. They'd just kind of <laughs> plop down the hill. And then some of them big old teenage boys, man, they got, they, they ain't smart enough to be scared. And they, they, they'd rear back. I mean, they'd get, they'd get a runway. And then they'd take off running and they would just Superman fly right through the air. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm talking about some of them went into orbit. They went so fast. They weren't afraid of nothing, man. Wasn't afraid of nothing. This young man, he didn't just come up and just kind of, excuse me, Jesus. Can I talk to you for just a little bit of a moment? No, man. He came up running. And I'm talking about he slid into first base at the feet of Jesus. If I saw a man come to Jesus like that, I'd think, here's a boy that's going to get born again. I'd say his passion was admirable. Number two, his posture is admirable. The Bible says that he came and he kneeled to him. Let me tell you something. If a man comes and tries to look Jesus straight in the eye, he ain't going to get saved. You've got to come with your heart humbled before God. Chances are you're not even going to come to God unless you've been humbled in the first place. And there's a lot of people that are never going to get saved because they want to treat with God as equals. God's not interested in that. He's God. You're not. And you've got to come before Him with your heart humbled. Now, that doesn't mean outward tears or, or screaming or wailing. And if, if you did that when you got born again, praise the Lord. That don't scare me. But it's not about that outward show, but rather it's about an inward condition. And this man's outward condition reflected, betrayed his inward disposition. He comes and he kneels before him. And when I see people come with their hearts broken before God, I mean, I'm thinking, now here's somebody that's about to get born again. I mean, somebody whose heart, I mean, they're aware. They know, man, they're under no, no pretense. They know they're a lost sinner on their way to hell. One of the things I love about camps, young people, they, they don't, they, they didn't got enough pride to play games with God. They ain't learned yet that they're supposed to be hypocrites. And they just come to God. I mean, they just fall down. We ain't got no altar, really. We just got a space on the floor. And, and they just come down. They get in that floor and they weep and they cry. And if I, if I saw this young man come and kneel, I, man, he's, he's getting ready to get in. I mean, he's getting ready to get born again. This boy is. His posture is admirable. Not only that, his politeness is admirable. Look what it says. The Bible says he asked him, good master. Now, here in a moment, the Lord Jesus is going to correct something about what he says, and that's appropriate. But I would just say this. He's coming to Jesus best as he knows how. He's coming and he's saying, good master, because that to him is the highest title that he knows to bestow upon him. In other words, he is respectful. He is reverent. He knows this is not a time for games and foolishness. He knows this is not just sort of a, 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 of, of cultural games that we're playing. I mean, he knows this is real. He knows he needs to come to God and he needs to come with reverence in his heart. His politeness is admirable. And then I would say this, his plea is admirable. Look what he asks. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, I'll be the first to point out to you that what he asks is the wrong question. 
And Jesus answers the wrong question that he asked with the right answer. But because it's the wrong question, it's not really the answer he needs to hear quite yet. He says, what may I do? The answer to that is very simple. You want to do what you have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, first, you've got to be born sinless. Never commit any sin in your life. Live perfectly, wholly, righteously before God in every way, shape, fashion, and form. If you can do that, then I guess a man could maybe inherit eternal life that way. The problem is no man can do that. So he asks the wrong question. But I just noticed this. He may have asked the wrong question, but he wants the right thing. He doesn't just come and want Jesus to fix his marriage. He doesn't just come and want Jesus to get him out of debt. He doesn't just come and just want Jesus to give him back his good health. I mean, he's asking for the right thing. He's interested in eternal life. That's what he wants. Let me tell you, when a person comes to God, Jesus will do more for you than you could ever imagine. But when a person gets born again, it's not because they come looking for a, 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 a debt relief management counselor. It's not because they come to Jesus looking for a marriage counselor. It's not because they come to Jesus looking for a life coach to help them win friends and meet people. When a sinner comes to Christ and gets saved, they come to Him because they realize they're a sinner and they come needing a Savior. They come for eternal life and forgiveness of their sins. In other words, up to this point, if you'd ask me, if the Holy Ghost would just stop there and you'd say, all right, Toby, finish the rest of the story, I'd say, well, I'm sure he got born again, got saved, probably became the greatest Christian that you would have ever met. But the Bible goes on to tell us that that's not what happened. Instead, the Bible says he went away sorrowful. How could that happen in this man's life? And more to the point, how could it happen in your life? Is it possible that you could be as interested as this man is in God and still die in your sins and go to hell? I think our text tells us how this happens. What can we learn from this man's decision? I want you to notice three simple thoughts and I'll be done. Number one, let's think about why he walked away. Why? What does it really boil down to? Why did he turn around and walk away and leave salvation lying there at the feet of Jesus and never believe on him? Well, I think there's three reasons really. Number one, I would say this, the flaw in his reasoning is part of the problem. You remember the thing that he calls Jesus? He says, good master, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And that sounds good. That's noble. But the Lord Jesus answers him. And and, and I love this. He answers his question with a question. He says, why callest thou me good? That's an important question, isn't it? I bet you've never thought about that question. Here's what Jesus is asking. What do you define good as? What is good to you? People say, well, preacher, I'm a good person. What does that mean? Does that mean that you don't murder people? I hope so. If you're sharing a cell with Jeffrey Dahmer, he would have thought you was a terrible person. He said, well, preacher, it means you don't steal nothing. Well, you know, that may be true for some, but others would look at stealing and think it's absolutely no problem at all. Now, I want you to listen carefully. I'm not suggesting that there's not a moral code written on the DNA of every single human being created in the image of God. I'm aware that there is. But I'm saying this, when we use terms like good and evil, if they're not defined by the Bible, they're really not defined at all. People say, well, I'm a good person, preacher. Well, here's how God defines good. He says, there is none good but one that is God. So this man comes to Jesus and here's what he wants. He wants advice and counsel on how to better work his way to heaven. Some of y'all may have come here this morning for that. You came here so you figure out how to be a good person, be a better person. Can I go ahead and tell you, you ready? It's going to revolutionize your life. You ready? You can't. 
You can't because you're not God. There's one good, and that's God. See, here's, here's the truth of the matter. When you think you can earn your way to heaven, why would you need a Savior in the first place? This man walked away because he thought all he had to do was just simply be a better person. You don't need a Savior if all you have to do is be a better person. You just, you just need an accountability partner. You need somebody to call you on the carpet. Uh, but the reality is you can call a sinner on the carpet every day of his life for the rest of his life and it's not going to save him because the problem is he's fundamentally dead, lost, and broken inside. This man comes to Jesus and, and he says, I want a, a, eternal life. But to him, eternal life means working your way to heaven and getting there through your own good works. He did not understand yet the clear, definable distinction between man and God, that God is holy, separate from sinners, harmless, undefiled, pure, that his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. You aren't almost God and need a step up to get there. You are as far away from God as is imaginably possible. You are nothing like God. You need to be forgiven and saved and born again because in you is nothing that is like God. So, oh, preacher, that's pretty harsh you're being. Well, let's just let Paul give testimony about his own self. He said, in, in our flesh, Paul said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Talking about the apostle Paul. You say, preacher, who's he? Well, you're holding 14 of his books in the New Testament. And he said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There was a flaw in this man's reasoning. Number two, I would say this. There was a flaw in this man's righteousness. Jesus answers him and with only the pure insight and and divine wisdom that he could, he begins to rattle off laws, commandments that are in the Ten Commandments. He says this, Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. You know, I got to think about that. I've always been hard on this boy, Ken. I've said liar. He's a dirty liar is what he is. Dirty, rotten, filthy, no good liar. But then I got to thinking about it, you know. I mean, not everybody's as wicked as I am. Maybe he had done most of these things. You see, in his perspective, what he's saying, you go down the list and, and, and he probably knew whether he'd ever murdered anyone. He probably knew he had never committed adultery, at least not outwardly. He probably knew he had never stolen. He would probably even say, you know, I've never intentionally lied or tried to deceive anyone. I've never tried to defraud anyone. And maybe he could even say, you know, I've tried to honor my father and my mother. And let's say he did all those things. I know he didn't. You know he didn't. Let's just pretend, all right? Let's make him feel better and pretend like he had done all those things flawlessly, perfectly. That's only half the commandments. You know that the Ten Commandments are busted up into two portions. There's half of them, and they've got to do with how you treat man. And those are the ones that the Lord Jesus lists here. Things like not committing adultery and not lying and not stealing and not killing. But then there's another five, and you know what they have to do with? They have to do with how you treat God. Things like, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Uh, things like, thou shalt worship no other gods before me. Things like, like thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Things like, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, the other commandments, they've got to do with how you treat God. Here's the problem in this man's righteousness. He viewed righteousness as being a human matter. Well, I've got to treat people well. I've got to be a good person. We use this terminology down here in the buckle of the Bible that we'll say, well, they're good people. They're good people. Talk about somebody and say, well, how are they? Well, they're good people. What we mean is, well, they generally treat people well. Well, that's fine in regards to whether you can keep neighbors or keep from getting somebody to throw a brick through your window. When it comes to how you stand before God, that's not good enough. See, there's a difference between spirituality 
and morality. There's a difference between righteousness and religion. Religion is human speaking, and it regards how we treat one another and generally be a good person. And when people say, well, I'm religious, what they mean is, I'm not the scum of the earth. That's basically all they mean. Morality, people say, well, I'm a moral person. Moral, what does moral mean? You might be moral to you, but you might not be moral to anybody else. Hey, even the most degenerate, depraved people in the world have a morality they believe they're living in accordance with. But now spirituality regards how we are viewed in the eyes of God. Righteousness has to do with how we stand before God. Are we clean? Are we right? Are we justified before Him? And the problem with this man, here's why I didn't think he needed a Savior. He thought that all that religion was, all that relationship with God was, that all that was expected of him was that he be a basically good person. Hell is full of basically, humanly, earthly, societally speaking, good people. They have lived what we would call wholesome lives and they have died without Christ and they're in hell this morning. There was a flaw in his reasoning. There was a flaw in his righteousness. But then notice there was a flaw in his reliance. Now, I preach this passage I don't know how many times. I've got to try to keep myself from preaching all those other messages while I'm preaching this passage. But the Bible says this in verse 21, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasures in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Now, some of y'all are saying, well, there it is, preacher. That sews it up. Charity. Charity. I need to be a charitable person. I need to take everything I've got and I need to sell it. And I give to the poor. And then I'm going to have treasure in heaven. I'm going to be okay with God. Let me say, number one, that's not true. Number two, if you are bound and determined that that is true, I am a needy case right here. All right? I'm just telling you. I mean, if you're looking for poor folks, I mean, you know, I'll do till one shows up. All right. And people say, well, there it is. It's sewed up. Preacher, he told him one thing, one thing that you need to do. You need to go sell everything you got and give to the poor. Then you'll, then you'll be right with God. No, it's not exactly what he said. He said one thing thou lackest. Isn't it interesting how carefully the Holy Ghost crafted the record of this narrative? Somebody would say, well, preacher, what he needs is money. That's what he's lacking because he's going to go and sell everything. No, because then he's going to give it to the poor. Well, preacher, what he's lacking is is goods and funds. No, he's already got great riches. So here's the thing. Jesus says you're missing something. And then he says, before you ever get what you're missing, you're going to have to get rid of some things that you've got. People say, preacher, person needs to be a good person. No, that's not what was lacking. The riches he owned were not lacking. They were present. What was lacking? What was lacking? What did he have to take up? What did he have to pick up? What did he have to grab hold of? What in the riches? He had to let go of the riches. But he had to grab hold of the cross. What was missing in his life was not charity, good work, baptism, church membership. What was missing in his life was the cross of Calvary. You know, there's times Jesus talked about his cross. And there's times Jesus talked about our cross. But here Jesus says, the cross. Can I tell you this? In a sense, and Jesus is not on the cross today. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But if we were to talk about His cross in regards to His earthly life, it would relate to the model that He set forth, the example He gave us. When He talks about our cross, He's talking about us dying to self, to live the life of discipleship before Him. But here He says, the cross. Almost like there's just one. Almost like even though on a hillside there were three crosses, There was really only one that mattered. 
Almost like through the long and bloody history of Rome, they had crucified thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, but none of those crosses were what mattered. Almost like there's crosses hanging around people's necks and dangling from their ears and their jewelry, but none of those crosses matter. Almost like there's only one cross that matters. That's the cross that Jesus died on. He said, I tell you what's missing from your life is the cross. But he says, here's the problem. You're never going to grab hold of the cross because your hands are full. You're walking around toting all these riches. And that's what you think is going to get you there. But until you drop those, because you realize they ain't going to get you there, and grab hold of the cross, you're never going to have eternal life. Now, riches are a funny thing. Isn't it funny the way the Bible says that? Riches, riches. He was a rich young ruler. Riches is a relative statement. There are some things that, that matter. I mean, there are some things that if you've got them, they are, you are rich, all right? Things like gold. Things like ammunition. Things like a high tactical position. You're rich, right? There's things don't matter that much, like dollars. <laughs> They matter about 20% less today than they did two years ago by real estimation. Riches are relative, right? See, your riches might not be gold. Your riches might not be money. Your riches might not be property. Your riches might be your own personal morality. That might be what's keeping you from coming to Christ. Your riches might be your pride and the fear you've got of what men might say if you got born again. Your, Your riches might be your friends. And their abandonment, your fear of it, if you were to come to Jesus. I mean, hey, y'all forgive me. I've been in camp mode. I've, been, I've just been preaching to kids that don't get mad. They just listen. Your riches might be your family. I'm saying this. Whatever it is keeping you from the cross of Calvary, you're going to have to let that thing go. There was a flaw in his reliance. He was relying on the wrong thing. It might be your church membership. Now, I believe everybody ought to be a member of a New Testament church God called us to. But if you think that church membership is going to get you to heaven, I'm sorry, you're wrong. I'm going to say it real clear. Church membership has never saved anyone. It cannot save you. It will never save anyone. Well, that's my opinion. I think half the time, if you're a member of Walridge, that might count against you. You have been baptized. That's great. I'm proud for you, I guess. We baptized 50 kids this week in the lake and the slip and slide and everywhere else. And I think a few of them fell in the toilet once or twice. But if you've never been born again, that water can't wash you clean. Your good works can't. Whatever it is, let me say it very, very clearly. Only by coming to Jesus Christ and placing your faith in Him, trusting in what He did on the cross of Calvary and asking Him to forgive you and save you, only by doing that can you be saved. That's the cross. There was a flaw in his reliance. Notice not only why he walked away, but I want you to think with me about what he walked away from. You know, it's sad that a man would would turn his back on Jesus, but I, I don't think we really realize all that he turned his back on. And most people, when they walk away from God, they think they're walking away from church. Let me tell you something. There's things a lot worse than just walking away from the church house. They think they're walking away from good, clean living. I'll tell you something. You ain't got to abandon uh, dirty, wicked living to be a member of church. I know lots of them. I'll give you names. No. Hey, listen. What did he walk away from? Well, I'd say there was three things. Number one, he walked away from the spiritual light that was shined. Uh, I'll tell you, he walked away because for the first time in his life, somebody told him the truth. And it didn't agree with his life. 
And he wasn't willing to walk in the light that was given to him. By light, what I mean is truth. Jesus told him the truth. Jesus said, you can't save yourself, young man. Your riches cannot save you. You've got to let go of all that and believe on me. And then you can be born again. Now, listen, when you've had light shine into your life, you are now a changed person. And I don't mean you're born again. There's plenty of people that have the truth told to them and reject Jesus like this man did. But I mean, there's no going back to that time before you knew the truth. Now you know the truth. You have been given light and you are accountable for that light. You probably didn't sign up for that when you came to church today. But I'm sorry to tell you, it's the truth of the matter. There ain't no going back. You have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you die in your sins, you're going to be held accountable. You have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he just turned around. He walked away. Jesus shined a light in his life. Some people can't handle light. Some people don't like it. Well, up there at camp, I shouldn't say this. We're never going to have anybody come work camp again. There are bugs up at camp. Are you aware of that? And some of them are just like regular old bugs, you know. And um, some of them that you might see, you know, a centipede or one of them fuzzy caterpillars. I don't know what they're called, fuzzy caterpillars. And 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 wasp. We got one or two wasps up there, and you got different. But the, I, was, I was taking a shower this week. Don't laugh. I showered, and I looked up, and there was a cockroach. Ooh, ooh's right. I was in the shower with him. And normally when you turn a light on, cockroach, run, scatter. Like a Baptist when it's time to volunteer to help. Run. This one, I, I turned the light on. He's sitting there smoking a cigarette. He said, what's your name? <laughs> Some people, when they're faced with the truth, they run. Other people, you know what they do? They're faced with the truth. They just nonchalant, whatever. Like that cockroach, I ain't scared of it. I don't care. It don't matter to me. Let me tell you something. Whether you run from it or whether you just disregard it, you're going to have to answer for it one day. Don't walk away from the spiritual light that shined. Number two, you know what he walked away from? He walked away from the divine love that was shown to him. I love it, man. I love how the Holy Ghost says it. Verse 21, Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And said unto him, you want to know if somebody loves you? Will they tell you the truth? Jesus loved him. He didn't just love him enough to give him money. He didn't just love him enough to promote him. He didn't just love him enough to pat him on the back. He loved him enough to tell him a truth he didn't want to hear. The people that love you are the ones that are willing to tell you a truth that you do not want to hear. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Let me tell you something. When you walk away from God, you're walking away from the person that loves you more than anyone else in this entire world. Nobody, your mama hasn't loved you like God loves you. Your daddy hasn't loved you like God's loved you. Your spouse has never loved you like God has loved you. Even those precious babies that come up, eyes full of light, when they see it, they don't love you the way that God loves you. You know why? Because they still think well of you. But God knows you for what you really are. He loves you anyway. Everybody else loved him because they saw a, a rich young ruler with his life together. Man, it pleases me. Uh, one of the things I love about serving God with all these young families, it blesses my heart to see them raising their kids for the Lord. And I look back at them and I just, I just beam with, with, with encouragement, man. I mean, look at all these families living for the Lord. It's easy to love some of them. But hey, when God looks at you, He knows what you are. He loves you anyway. If you knew me the way God knew me, listen, you wouldn't even save my number in your phone. But He loves me anyway. 
When you walk away from God, you're walking away from the ultimate expression of love. A love transcendent to any love that this world could ever know or understand. That's what 1 John says in 1 John chapter 3. When it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. The word manner has the idea of alien. Behold what strange, what celestial, what unusual, what proprietary love that He's bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That I, a child of hell, should in His image shine. It's a love like you've never known, and it's a love like if you turn away from it, you're never going to find anywhere else. He walked away from divine love that was shown. But then I'd say this, he walked away from eternal life that was shared. Verses 23 and 24, Jesus draws a stark contrast to this man's, between his demeanor and his decision. Jesus said, verse 23, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Now, notice he didn't say how impossible it is that they should enter into the kingdom of God. God will save a rich man, just like God will save a poor man. God will save a skinny man. God will save a fat man. Hey, God will save any that will come unto him. But it's hard for him. Why is it hard for him? Well, Jesus explains why in verse 24. Because his disciples hear that they don't understand. They, they, they were astonished. So Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, he said it in a way they could understood, understand. He says, children... How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? In other words, when you're trusting in riches, it's tangible, it's valuable, it's precious to you. It's hard for you to let that go and trust in God instead. Can I just make a point here? He says how hard it is for them to enter into the kingdom of God. He says that about a man that just went away sorrowful. In other words, this man did not just turn down a career of discipleship. This man turned away the blessed Son of God. He didn't just turn down a calling. He turned down the cross. And he walked away from the offer of eternal life that he could have had. Let me tell you something. You walk away from God, you're walking into hell. If you as a lost sinner walk away from the gospel, You say, it's not for me, I'm not interested, I won't go that far. You walk away from it, you're walking away from eternal life. You don't find it anywhere else. You're only going to find it in the Lord. Hey, Jesus said, I am the way, the. You were talking about the cross. He is the way, the truth, the life. You won't find life anywhere else. No man cometh unto the Father, Jesus said, but by Him. He's the door to the sheepfold. There ain't no other way in. If you walk away from Him, you've walked away from eternal life. I see why He walked away. I see what He walked away from. But then I want you to notice what He walked away to. The Bible says in verse number 22, just a sad commentary about a tragic ending to this life. And He was sad at that saying. I wasn't sad when I heard the gospel. I was glad. You know why? Because I received it. People get mad at the gospel, get mad at it because they are rejecting it. It'll make you mad if you won't accept it. It'll make you sad if you won't accept it. I've had people say, oh, preacher, I know you're going to scare these kids preaching like that. You ever seen some of the stuff y'all let them watch on TV? You ever seen the way some of y'all's act? Some of your kids scare me. I've been at camp with them all week. I'll preach you're going to scare them talking about that hell. Hey, listen, they better learn the truth of it. They better learn the truth of it. All right, PJ Mask ain't going to teach it to them. Right? Some of y'all know PJ Masks. That's all right. And some of y'all kids, your, your parents, young kids, you just twitched when I said it. You just had a moment. <laughs> some of y'all, your PTSD just kicked in. 
You started hearing the song and you went to another place. Hey, listen, Mickey Mouse Club ain't going to teach it to them. Uh, Disney plus, 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 plus brainwash your kids ain't going to. That ain't going to teach it to them. They better hear it somewhere. But listen, when you reject the gospel, it, it makes you mad. It makes you mad because you don't want to believe the things that God says are true about you and I. It makes you sad because you realize that you're walking away from a God that loves you. This man, he went away sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. Notice three things and I'm done and then we'll do an invitation and, and then we'll, we'll back up and bunt and I'll preach the message I was going to. No, don't get nervous. <laughs> Shouldn't do that when we have visitors. They don't know. <laughs> Notice number one, here's what he did. He walked away to a life of self-reliance. He walked away dependent on himself and himself couldn't get him there. You know, when a person walks away from God, what they're really saying is, no thanks, I'll do it on my own. I'll do it on my own. We talked about this at camp because young people say these things and and adults do too. If you'll witness to them, you'll say, "Uh, do you know uh, that when you die, you'll go to heaven and they'll say things like this. I'm all right. And what does that mean? I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm all right. When we say I'm all right, we're saying all is right in my life. Everything's right. I don't need anything else. If you go to somebody's house, they say, hey, you want a cup of coffee? You say, no, thanks. I'm all right. What you're saying is I have everything I need and a cup of coffee will not make things better. I'm okay. I'm all right. Yes, people. If you died, would you go to heaven when you died? Do you know that? Can you say that for sure? I'm going to tell you this morning. Listen to me. Every single ear, every single heart, hear what I'm about to say. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Not because I'm a preacher, not because I'm a good person, uh, because to be honest, I don't deserve to be the one and I'm hardly the other. Uh, it's not because I got religion, whatever that means. It's not because I'm a member of a church. I know that I'm going to heaven because when I was 10 years old, I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins and save me. And God is not a liar. He keeps His promises. And I'm trusting in what He said. He has saved me. And I believe God. If somebody tells you you can't know, all they've revealed to you is that they don't know. But you can know that you're saved and on your way to heaven. You'll ask people, do you know you're going to heaven when you die? They'll say, I'm all right. I'm all right. What they're saying is, I don't need God. I don't need the gospel. I don't need forgiveness. I'm all right on my own. This young man, when he walked away, he was saying, I'm all right. I'm okay. What he's really saying is, God, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. We don't like to say it that way. That's why we have preachers get up and say things in ways that we would never say to ourselves to make us uncomfortable, to face us with the truth. Because you won't say that to yourself, but I'll say it to you this morning. When you walk away from God, what you're saying is, I don't need you, God. I'm okay. I can do it on my own. He walked away to a life of self-reliance. Number two, he walked away to a life of sorrow. So how do you know that, preacher? Maybe he got over it. No, because... Nothing, unless he came to Christ later on, we have no record of it, nothing ever changed. He went away sorrowful because now he knew the truth about where he was headed when he died. And nothing ever changed. He went to a life of sorrow. You want to have a sorrowful life? Live a life without God. Listen, Christians got problems. I mean, they do. I I see Christians struggle. I see them have problems. I I see them have brokenness in their life. I'm not telling you if you get born again, you ain't going to have problems. But I'm telling you this, you live without Jesus Christ, you'll live a life of sorrow confusion, brokenness, anger. All those things are what the devil's offering you. What's God offering you? Well, life and life abundant. 
This young man, he walked away sorrowful to a life of sorrow. But then I would say this, number three, he walked away to a life of silence. And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean he took a vow of, of silence like some monk in a monastery. I, I don't mean that, that, that he never did anything else in his life. But I mean, as far as the record of Scripture goes, this man walks off the pages of the Bible. We have no reason to believe that he ever came to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know. We might get to heaven. He might hit me in the mouth for saying it. He might be there. No doubt his seats will be three rows closer to Jesus than mine will be. But to our knowledge, this was his last opportunity. Every man that ever died in his sins walked away from their last opportunity. When's the last one, preacher? Is there going to be a sign? No, I'm sorry to tell you there's not. Preacher, will it be when I'm old? Maybe. But this man was young. I've buried enough people that I should have gone before they did. I'm telling you this this morning. He walked away from God, and to our knowledge, he never got saved. He never got another chance. I hope, I mean this sincerely, if you walk out of here and reject Christ, I hope you get a thousand more chances. Because I'd rather you be saved than me be right. But I'm telling you, you don't know. I don't know. I could tell you story after story and time won't permit it. But I'm just telling you, you better get in while you got a chance. Because you don't know how many more chances you're going to get. This young man walked away from his last chance. We don't have any record of Jesus ever passing by his way again. This morning, Jesus is calling you. If you're here without Christ, he will save you. If you've never been saved, you need Christ. If you're one of those people that would say, Preacher, I've always been a Christian. You've deceived yourself. That's not true. You have not always been a Christian. And in fact, if you can't point to a time when you ask Christ to forgive you and save you, you have zero reason to believe you are a Christian. doesn't matter if your parents are Christians. doesn't matter if you got kids that are Christians. doesn't matter if you would check the box Christian if somebody gave you a form to fill out. None of that matters. All that matters is how you stand before God. If you've never asked God to forgive you and save you and been born again and your life changed as a result of it, then I'm sorry to tell you, you are not a Christian, but you can be today. You can come to Christ and He'll forgive you and He'll save you. You don't have to go away sorrowful. You don't have to go away grieved. You don't have to walk away from the light that's been shined and the love that's been shown and the life that's been shared to you today. You can receive Christ and be born again. Please, oh my, please don't walk away. Don't walk away from Him that loves you more than anyone else does. Let's bow together with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Musician's going to come to the piano and play. But I want to ask you a couple questions this morning. First question I want to ask, I want to ask to those that are saved and they know that they are saved. Is there anyone that would say, now, Brother Toby, I know I'm saved. I have no question about it. But I'm so burdened because I have loved ones. I have people in my life. And I've seen them walk away from God time and again. And my heart is so heavy because I just, I want to see them come to Christ and believe and be saved. I don't want to see them walk away from their last opportunity. But Toby, my heart is burdened. Somebody's on my heart and mind this morning that needs to be saved. Would you help me pray for them? Would you slip your hand up and I'll help you pray for them? I won't call your name or embarrass you or anything like that. I'll help you pray for them. You can put them down. I wonder if there'd be somebody that would say, Brother Toby, I didn't raise my hand because that person's me. I've never been saved. If I died, as far as I know, I'd, I'd die a lost person because I've never been born again. I've never been saved. I've never asked Christ to forgive me and save me. But Brother Toby, I'd like to be saved. I need to be saved. And Brother Toby, would you pray for me that I'd make the right decision that I'd receive Christ? If that's you, as Melissa begins to play, would you slip your hand up and just let me pray for you?